Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. Great to have you. I actually don't know as much about you, which is kind of fun. It's more fun that way in some regards, but I've been following your content. I got your your newsletter and I've been kind of keeping up with your content and then I really do love it. And uh, yeah, man, I wanted to dive into a, a lot of topics, but maybe first give a little bit of background on yourself since my podcast is predominantly poker. I don't think you're a professional poker player or you know, that I know of at least, but uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. And, and if you do have any poker experience or background, let me know. But uh, tell me, tell me a little about what you do, who you are. Yep. Yeah. My, my poker experience is taking brother from taking money from my brothers in our basement. <laughs> but outside of that, no, not much poker experience. I grew up in North Carolina, uh, in Cary, North Carolina, which is just right outside of the capital Raleigh. Uh, I went to school there, high school, college in North Carolina. I graduated I spent some time at Octagon Sports Agency in Washington, D.C. for a short period of time. I moved up to New York City afterwards. I worked for the last um, few years at J.P. Morgan in New York City on the wealth management side um, in fixed income. And really what I figured out was like, hey, this isn't what I want to do long term, right? What do I want to do? Uh, and it always just kept coming back to sports. So I grew up with four brothers. We played every sport you could imagine, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it might be. And as I got older, I realized, wait, like, I kind of like the business aspect of it too. I always found myself wondering like, you know, how much are they paying for this? What, how this athlete make more money than this guy? Right. So it's just like a bunch of different things, whether it's contracts, business deals, uh, league revenue, whatever it might be. I was always interested in that stuff. So I just started writing about it, to be honest. Right. Like I, I started a newsletter, um, at first it was kind of just for family and friends and then it opened up more and more and more. I started tweeting about it. Um, in July, really, I, I had a Twitter account, but I never really used it. I started sending some stuff out and really what I was doing was just, um, I was just threading out kind of the articles, right? Like, you know, just, Hey, this is what I wrote up today. Here's the info, whatever, and sharing cool, interesting statistics and stuff like that. And it's gone really well. So I was able to leave my job at JP Morgan. Uh, and I monetized the newsletter through ads and stuff. And the Twitter accounts growing really well. I, I want to say it was, it was a, a, essentially at zero in July. Uh, and now it's up over 160,000. The newsletter has just over 30,000 subscribers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's gone really well. And, uh, you know, I'm just focused on doing the same stuff, right? I think there's a bunch of cool and interesting stories in sports, um, specifically the money and business behind sports, right? That's kind of the whole concept. Uh, But yeah, I I think there's just a bunch of cool things that people don't always hear about and people are interested in. And I love telling those stories. So that's what I've been doing for the past, um, you know, eight or nine months. And uh, it's gone well. Uh, that's awesome. Could you maybe explain on the monetizing side? Because this is a question I get a lot yeah. with Twitch. I get a lot with YouTube. You know, how do you make money? The 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 ads, this and that. And it's a, it's. It, I would imagine I'm not really familiar on this sort of like newsletter or or medium. But how are you like? What what is a conversion like per person and money? How do you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to make this much? Is you know the ads? Who's sponsoring you? How, how does it work for the economics? If, if you don't mind going into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So mine was a little unique in the aspect of like my whole thing was like, how can I leave my job as quick as I can and just double down on this, right? And like, uh, I knew if I was able to go full time, I was able to grow up much quicker. So a couple months in, I had a decent audience at that point. I mean, it was twenty five thousand, thirty thousand on Twitter, uh, and probably even like 10,000 on the newsletter, which is like super early to think about monetizing for most people. I think most people kind of think of just like one-off deals at that point of if they can get someone to do it. 
But for me, I was like, all right, if I can get someone locked in and do a deal that's maybe economically beneficial for me right now, uh, but then in the long run, like maybe we can make something work. So what I was able to do was I went to um, Athletic Brewing. I know uh, the CEO, Bill Schufelt there. And I was like, hey, let's do a six month deal. You know, you'll be the exclusive sponsor of everything I do online, right? So whether it's Twitter, uh, newsletter, podcast, audio, whatever it might be, video, uh, you guys will be the sponsor. We'll do six months in total. I think it'll probably be a great deal for me at start, right? And then it'll be a good deal for you at the end. And that's exactly what we saw, right? Like they sponsored me for six months exclusive. No one else was doing any ads. Um, the audience grew really well with my ability to focus and double down on the content side of it. And they were getting really good value of it at the end. So that deal actually came up just a month ago. So I opened it up to broader sponsorship um, this past month. I was able to secure a couple extra deals. Um, and really what it is, is most of these guys are just focused on audience size and engagement, right? So a lot of people have large audiences, but not everyone's audience is super engaged. Um, so they look for people that are able to have uh, kind of a large following on multiple platforms. So not only just Twitter, but the, the email obviously helps. It just creates multiple touch points. And then they monet they look at monetization from a, obviously there's things like CPM and all that kind of stuff and, and, and click-through rates and everything that kind of goes to check the boxes. Um, but it's really like a lot of these guys will want to just do test runs, right? And they'll say, hey, look, how much benefit are we getting out of this? So it may be something as simple as early on just doing one ad for them, right? And, and seeing how it performs. And then you're able to lock in those longer term three to six month deals uh, once you show that you can perform. But the easiest way to think about it is just from an audience standpoint, right? Like the bigger the audience is better. Um, and then if you're able to create multiple touch points and offer like unique content, right? So one of the things I've been able to do is not only offering them the newsletter ads, which are obviously important and growing. And uh, I think people are pretty aware of like how uh, how beneficial that can be from a monetization standpoint, but also the Twitter account, right? So that's another touch point um, with a larger following. And then we've done things like audio, we've done video, right? One-on-one -on -one interviews, guest posts in the newsletter. So I think it's just about creating multiple touch points to touch the audience and then um, working with brands that make sense, right? So you know, early on, there's a lot of brands that come to you and they might say, Hey, look, we want to do it. And they're willing to pay or whatever, but you know, you won't be able to perform because it just doesn't match the audience. Um, so like the people that have done really well with me are my audience is sports business. So it's people that care about health, wellness. Um, they're usually business executives, leaders, those kind of concepts. So that's what I focus on, right? It's just finding the right partners that'll be able to perform for. And then the rest kind of takes care of itself. And you said you spent some time at Octagon. I actually am pretty familiar with Octagon, and I, I've been up to their offices in Portland, Maine. Um, I don't, I don't know if you, are you familiar with Peter Carlisle by any chance? Do you know that name? But he's he's not at the DC office. Would do you know that name? I've heard the name, but I no, I don't know him uh, okay. personally. Yeah, he, he's Michael Phelps' agent, and and I've, I've spent some time up there with them, and he's uh, he's a great guy in Octagon. I think he got like his own branch and opened it up within you know inside. Uh, Portland, Maine. Um, yep. but yeah, it's a, I know Octagon's well, and they, they have a lot of, you know, where, where does that ring? It's one of the bigger agencies, maybe third or fourth, or it's one of the bigger sport ones. They have some big clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was there, they, um, you know, they had Steph Curry, I think they have Giannis now. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely big. I, I don't know where it ranks probably. Yeah. Top three, I would say, right. um, yeah. I worked on their digital team there. So what we were focused on was, uh, it was basically just helping athletes monetize their social and build a brand. Right. So not even necessarily monetize. A lot of these guys were just trying to, it was, this was five, six, seven years ago, almost now. So it was kind of still in the earlier days of how people looked at using social media to build a brand. 
especially mm-hmm. professional athletes. So a lot of the time we spent just kind of digging through the noise of people coming at them with sponsorships, all that type of stuff. Um, and then just focusing on like long-term strategy, right? Like how does it look if these guys are going to get from 10,000 followers to a million on on Twitter, on Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was fun. It was a lot of, a lot of good times working with professional athletes and going through that process. Um, and, and that really honestly opened my eyes to like how much potential there was in that, in, in, on that side of the industry. Yeah. And, and do you believe, uh, the NFT space and what's going on? Like it's got, it seems a bit like in my opinion, it feels like kind of like the dot-com, like it does feel there's gonna be a lot of losers, I think, right. A lot of stuff that just doesn't work. People trying to make a quick buck, people get held with the bag. You know, I'm sure you're seeing this, right. This is like Gronkowski, Mahomes, like big athletes, big names, tossing out NFTs and doing them quickly. Uh, do you have any feeling on this space in particular? And, and do you think this is going to be really big for sports? I, I know the, uh, there was obviously NBA top shot, you know, they've had some yep. problems with cash outs and this and that there's now the NFL PA. I think they're going to go with OMI network. Um, with Vive, I'm not sure if it's official or if that's, you know, one of the ones they're, they're looking at, but it's uh, it's a big space. It's big money. And it seems like it's addressing a programmable asset need for these, these athletes, especially ones that are not in the league anymore or any sport, right? Like got people yeah. that are retired that they can kind of reconnect with their fans, do something unique, have their fans have a piece or do something. Where, where do you, where, what's your, what's your overall feeling on the NFT space? Well, I think it's two things, right? And and I've talked about this before is on the intellectual property side, if you think about it from that, we've never really had a free market decide what the price of something should be, right? Like there's just no ability to do that in the past. And that's kind of what an NFT creates, right? So when you have not only intellectual property, but technology, art, et cetera, meet in that free market, there's price discovery. And no one really knows what these things are worth really, right? Like there's, there's, we're slowly getting there, I think, as more things become public and more things trade and, and more things are minted or whatever. But we're, we have to go through that price discovery phase. And I think the second part of it that people don't really get is like, um, what I see yesterday, I saw someone criticizing Patrick Mahomes saying, right, like it was a cash grab. One, it was for charity. So it is what it is. He didn't keep any of the money. But two, like, these guys have fans in the digital world, right? And if they and if it opens up another avenue for them to connect or build their fan base in a digital, you know, platform, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? So I think that we'll probably see some leveling out on the prices, just as people figure out and determine what these things are worth through price discovery. Um, but I think the the other aspect of it is the um, you know, the ability to monetize long-term, right? So typically if something sells in the primary market and an artist sells it, the Mona Lisa might trade a hundred times after that, right? And no one gets any revenue off of that. Um, when you think about it from the trading card space, Tops makes a card, they sell it one time, they don't get any more revenue off the secondary sales. So the thing that the NFTs allow you to do, right, is create that royalty stream where you're getting a percentage of every sale after that. Right. Uh, so I think, it's, I think it's great, especially from a creator standpoint, right? Like if you're giving them the ability not only to capitalize on their... Uh, you know, their skills and their artistic nature and um, kind of that intellectual property, but you also give them the opportunity to, uh, you know, have that revenue stream long-term. I think it's a net positive. Yeah. It's also, it's pretty cool. Like with blockchain, the technology and everything, as you mentioned, like that's something that you can essentially build in, right? 5%, 2%, 1%, sort of like a, a movie star, gets with their, their rights and perpetuity. If you're able to do that for, for a sports card or for a company, you know, even if it's super small, that can, that can go a long way. And, and I think that's uh, really interesting as well. And so are you, are you bullish on it in general? Like, do you believe there's going to be some big winners like OpenSea or Omi or any of these companies you're hearing about where people are listing NFTs? Do you believe these companies are positioned well, or do you think it's kind of going to be some hit and miss? Yeah, I think, I think it's here to stay for sure. I think, um, 
one of the spaces that me and my brother look at a lot is digital art, right? And those are one of those things that I just think there's huge opportunity in. Um, I know you, you mentioned Top Shot earlier. I think that that's their biggest benefit right now is that they're, you know, they're, they've uh, kind of linked up with the NBA, right? So they have a marketing engine behind them that can kind of propel them forward, whether they're having problems with their system or not. I think there's some kind of alternative things to look at from, you know, from a marketplace standpoint of can people cash out? Oh, yeah, let me jump in. When you say your brother, do you mean uh, a pump or what? Because uh, yeah. you have five brothers. You're we're one of five brothers, so let's clarify. I mean, and discern how do you? I mean, man, five brothers. That's pretty strong. Good shooting by your dad. If he was looking for boys, went one hundred percent. But that's uh, that's pretty yeah. strong. So did he did he want a girl? Was that part of it? They kept going, and then they just like all right, that five's crazy, and he wanted. Well, they they or were they twins? They say- I was going to say, they say they didn't want a girl, but you got to imagine, um, you know, you try five times, there's something, something's up there, right? <laughs> yeah. And and this is your brother here, A. Pompliano, if those aren't familiar with yeah. him, he is actually, you know, I follow him. Uh, I know he's pretty big into the crypto space and just, in, in he's, he's an active, he's a guy that's been around. I mean, look at this, look at that activity. He's got, what, 50... Saw fifty fifty three thousand tweets. So I mean, he's pretty pretty busy, pretty into the mix. And is he? Are you and him more on the content side, or are all your brothers? Give me give me. The, how old are you? How where where do you fall? Are you in the middle or the youngest, oldest? So I'm uh, I'm fourth in line. Okay. Uh, Anthony is the oldest, the one you're looking at right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have there's uh, two in between us. Neither okay. of them create content online. Uh, one works in finance. One's a doctor. So I create content online. I'm the fourth. And then we have a younger brother, John, who just started an account on Twitter. Um, he is the stats guy, we call him. He, this guy, he, he likes interesting, cool stats. And uh, he, I mean, he lit, he lit Twitter around. Let's pull him up here. Let's get John. He'll be pumped. I'm giving him a shout out here. <laughs> on Pompliano or? Yeah, right there. All right. Guy's been on. Let's see when he created the account. February. Followers. Shit, he's moving. And look, yeah, like when he created it, February. (laughs) So um, obviously, right, like I benefited a lot from uh, Anthony's audience and being able to leverage that for distribution and stuff like that. And John has as well. Um, So now it's just about, you know, continuously building it, right? So I do these from the sports business side, I do these threads. I try to do them three to four times a week. Um, And really what it is, is just telling cool, interesting stories, right? So I've done uh, the story of Junior Bridgman, who had a $350,000 salary and turned that into $600 million. He, he basically was working at Wendy's drive throughs while in, while in the NBA, right? So imagine pulling up to Wendy's and you see an NBA player in the drive thru That's what he was doing. Um, what, what was the story- reason on that? I saw, I did see that, but I didn't realize he yeah. was working. I saw that he parlayed it. I didn't realize that he actually was working there. What, what's the deal with that? So Junior Bridgman, the, the short story of it is he was a uh, good but not great player, role player for the Milwaukee Bucks for a long time. Uh, good player, but he earned, I mean, salaries weren't what they were, right? He, this was, I think, in the, the early 80s, late 70s, whatever it might be. He was earning $350,000 a year was his highest salary. So he's like, okay, this is great money, um, but I'm not going to be able to live forever how I want to off of this, right? So right. he was like, I'm fascinated by the fast food industry. Um, so what he did was he went and got a job at McDonald's literally during the middle of the, um, during the middle of the NBA off season, he was working at a Wendy's drive-thru, learned the business. By the time he ended his NBA career, he already owned three Wendy's. So, uh, he owned three. And then by the time I want to say within 20 years, maybe two decades later, he owned over like 150 of them. 
So he, he slowly built his way up to own this massive chain of franchise restaurants. Uh, he ended up selling all of them for some massive amount of money. Now he's one of Coca-Cola's largest distributors uh, in Canada and the Northeast. And he's got like a $600 million net worth, right? So people always laugh like, uh, he, he was making $350,000 a year. When it comes to inflation adjusted, maybe it's a million, whatever it might be, that's easy. And it's like, no, if if you think you can turn a million dollars into 600 million, I'll find you a million right now, <laughs> right? Like, uh, it, it's certainly not easy, but he's like one of those good stories. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. I see it's got a lot of traction uh, there in your pin tweet. And the, uh, I guess the kind of the equivalent, I would say is some of these athletes now, they're they're like uh, heart, right? On the Pelicans, he's on Twitch. He's get, doing promoting the NBA top. You can tell, you know, that J, there's podcasts, JJ Reddick, other guys are making podcasts and, and are really like active and, and sort of you can see their business hungry, savvy and building something with their brand, with their with their ability to, uh, you know, capitalize and, and build a nice foundation. So it's kind of the like equivalent, right? There's certain guys that just realize what's hot, what's what's available, what's the market trend, what where there's opportunity. And, you know, some guys are going to go home and play video games and and just, you know, play uh you know, just gamble and have fun and do their, you know, BS and play, play uh Fortnite. And then there's some guys that are going to do that yeah. while monetizing it while learning, while being really interested. And I think that's a, I think that's, that's pretty unique. So, and that, that must be fun to see these kind of stories all the time. I saw one of a, a player put his salary into Bitcoin or a good portion of it and ran it up. Right. Like these are kind of yeah. like interesting things that are happening. And, you know, I, I, it's probably not too far off where, players will start taking a portion or some of it in cryptocurrency. Um, and, and, and are you seeing that more? Like, is there a, even a percentage? There's a, very few that do it. Yeah. So Russ was one that was the tweet the other day. Uh, he took a percentage. He, he basically said earlier last year, I'm going to take a percentage of my uh, 50% of my $13 million salary and convert it to Bitcoin immediately. So the NFL doesn't actually allow you to be paid in Bitcoin, but he works with strike and they uh, basically the, his salary is converted to Bitcoin and stored in a cold wallet, it's cold storage before he even sees it, right? So it's not like he's taking it in dollars and going to buy Bitcoin. It's converted before he even touches it. So that was a cool one. Um, there's the issue is that like not a lot of these professional leagues, you have to work with the league and the NFLPA and all these, you know, associations to be able to get it passed. Uh, but there's certainly other players that are in the works doing this right now. So after Okun did it, it made it much more popular and much more easier because there was a framework in place. You still have to work with the individual team, right, and the players uh, to make it happen. But now there's like a generally accepted framework to do it now it's just about getting these players to do it so i know there's at least a few other players uh major names professionally that are looking to do it i'm sure they'll come out in the next few you know weeks months whatever it might be uh but i definitely think it's here to stay and i think it's like a mechanism that allows them uh to do something innovative right like okun was the first one but he certainly won't be the last yeah, it's it's really interesting. What uh, what are your what are your thoughts overall with uh, esports? And and I I've been scrolling through your stuff. I didn't. I don't think I saw anything in the last very very recently on it. But do you believe that esports will be on ESPN? And in five years, ten years, it won't be who owns the Dallas Cowboys or the Dallas Mavericks? And and these you know major brands, Manchester United, it's going to be wow. This guy owns this esports team. Uh, are you following that industry closely? Do you have any feelings on that? Yeah. Um, I don't follow it probably as closely as the major professional sports, just because at some point I get a little spread too thin, <laughs> but right. I think esports are interesting from the aspect of like, we saw it a few years ago, there was this major rush into esports, right? It's like the next big thing. And all these people were investing uh, a lot of big name investors, people that own professional sports organizations in the NFL, the NBA, et cetera. Right. And I think it got a little oversaturated to some degree. Uh, but I think that the interesting part that a lot of these companies are doing now, if you look at um, I've, I've, talked to the guys at 100 Thieves before, right? And I've done a thread on them and I've written about them. And like, 
the real way to do it is making these into cultural lifestyle companies, right? And, that, and that's really where they're making a lot of their money is on the, uh, you know, the apparel, the content side and all of that. And the esports obviously add to that. Uh, but, you know, you're seeing them build legitimate marketplaces and businesses out of it um, that are just outside of, you know, the tournaments and winning prizes and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's here to stay. I think, you you know, the headline numbers of people watching these events continue to get press. And I think during um, during the start of the pandemic, you saw it like esports had a moment, right? When no one else could go play their professional sports league, esports was all over TV. It was getting a lot of press and publicity. So now I think it's just about, uh, you know, expanding the infrastructure of the of the leagues and stuff and going from there. But I think yeah i'm generally bullish on esports as a whole it's just i think that you know there was such a rush in at first that i think some of these got oversaturated and overvalued and investors have kind of taken a step back and are, are looking at it more closely very interesting do you have any do you, do you have any long-term aspirations like are you and your brother or brothers that are involved with this type of stuff do you guys want to own a sports team do you have any any people you look up to in the industry you know gary v wants to buy the jets and get a content kind of yeah. mobile right just he's everywhere and everything and, and is like is that do you have goals like that? Is there is there a city? You said North Carolina you guys grew up in. Is there a certain area or place or give me give me the big the, the ten year Liano yeah. plan? We haven't talked about this, but if Gary V is buying the Jets, we're buying the Giants. <laughs> uh, we're uh, we're from North Carolina, but my my parents are from New Jersey, so we grew up uh, big Giants fans. You know, watching every game and that kind of stuff. So I don't think we necessarily have an aspiration specifically to buy a franchise like that. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously cool stuff to talk about and think about. It's more of just for us now, it's kind of, um, you know, we do a lot on the content side, but really a lot of that leads towards the investing side also, right? Like, so at the end of the day, what we want to be able to do is work with entrepreneurs and build good companies and do all that kind of stuff. And the content just kind of accelerates that, right? So when you think about it from a uh, audience standpoint, a lot of these guys are just looking for ways to distribute and gain market share, whether it's building community, whether it's distributing content, whether it's getting press or publicity for their products. We really have these audiences so we can go to them and say, Hey, look, we're going to, we're going to, uh, help you out. We're going to invest or whatever, but we're also going to be able to provide an inflection point for your business. Right? So when we come in and we can provide some organic marketing and really push these things and products that we believe in. So I think from that standpoint, the audience is super helpful. Uh, but on like a, you know, a high level, we don't have any, I don't think crazy plans, you know, buying the giants would obviously be a dream. Uh, but we got a lot of work to do before we can get there. I love it. And what, what, what is your, give me the age breakdown again. I'm sorry. You said there's five in the middle. Who's the oldest, youngest, like the, we're all two years apart. So Anthony's 32, um, and I am 26. Oh, wow. Two years apart. Just like clockwork. There's just bang. Yeah. Who, uh, maybe they had a honeymoon spot. Are you got what's the month, September, new year's babies every two years or what happened? I, I am September, but not all of us are. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, um, very, very cool. So uh, tell me a little about your team. How does this newsletter take place? Because you're one person. Do you have like, do you have people that are working with you that give you ideas, stories, and you write it? Do you come up with ideas and send it? Like, give me a little bit of a process on how many people are involved in your operation. Yeah. So I write the newsletter myself. Um, the, the newsletter is, it's, it's, obviously a lot of work, right? So it's daily. Um, but the, the cool and unique part about it is I get to pick the topic. I get to write my opinion on it. Uh, and, and that's really what differentiates it from anything else, right? It's like my opinion, it's what I think. Uh, and I pick the topic every day. So some days it's something that happened 10 years ago. And some days it's something that's newsworthy today that broke yesterday. So it's really a good mix. I, I pick a random topic. Uh, I try to at least write it somewhat the night before, but otherwise I'll wake up early and write it that morning. Um, and then the rest of the stuff is just content wise. Yeah. We just, um, 
right? So I'm trying to build up the Instagram now. The Twitter's gone really well, but I'm going to be starting a podcast here soon. So I think now it's just about expanding the uh, kind of the assets on the content side outside of just the Twitter and the newsletter. Obviously, those still need to grow. Um, but at the end of the day, it always helps to have more. Very cool. I do want to shoot over here, guys, and give you a chance. If you want to ask a question for Joe, I am going to be giving away a ticket. Let me see what do we got here. We're giving away yeah, $55 ticket. Uh, if you ask a question, you're going to be eligible. You guys can retweet it. If it is, let me see here. We're going to, we got a lot of questions, so this is good. We'll, we'll definitely click on this. We'll, we'll take some time here. You said you've got, what do you got about 45 more minutes? We'll try to leave, leave yeah. some time for questions. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of these on Twitter. There's some, some good ones. I'm going to, I'm going to wait and use some of these. Cause I was going to, uh, do a different, have you been on Joey's show before? Do you know Joey Ingram? I know of him just through Twitter, but I haven't been on his show yet. Maybe your brother has uh, somehow. I feel like I've seen something like with that, but maybe not. I got to double check that. But uh, he might have been. Joey's got a big, big poker uh, podcast, just a podcast in general. Oh, yeah, he was on it. I just I just looked it up. He was on it. Okay, cool. My brother was. Yeah, we'll give that away if. uh, Yeah, if we. We'll do that. So we'll save some time at the end. Instagram, you said you're building. It's sort of newer, but same kind of thing, right? But Twitter's like your more. That's your. That's like automatic clockwork where you've been do, building it for a while, and that's your main yep. platform. Okay, so make sure you guys give them a follow. Check them out on there. We'll do the questions at the end. I'll do this giveaway, and uh, I mean, I definitely. There's a lot, so we could almost pop over there. And I'm sorry, you said so on your. How many like actual like is it payroll? Like how do you actually like how many people are under officially working for you? And is it like a are you building a company? Uh, are you just, you know, have things changed? Cause obviously you didn't know how successful or where it would be. This, uh, the, the person you mentioned, this company kind of took a little bit of a shot on you initially, but things are obviously yep. going well. So what are the plans to expand and what is the current payroll or, you know, people that are working for you specifically at the moment? Yeah. So one, only one person, uh, working mm-hmm. with me right now. Yeah. Uh, and they actually were just brought on, but I think, uh, right now, right. It's just about expanding, not only from a content perspective, but helping with, there's a lot of things that go into it logistically uh, that you don't normally think about when you first start, right? So when I first started, it was good from the concept of obviously getting someone to um, compensate me so I could do it full time, but also only having one advertiser makes everything much easier, right? And you're able to kind of just focus with your head down and create content uh, and just focus on that one advertiser. But when you add others to the mix, there's just a million different things that you have to do, right? You not only have to sell ads, there's a lot of operational things. You have to write up all the ad copies, you have to invoice contracts, all, you know, there's just a million different things. Um, so I think building out a team helps with all that kind of stuff. I think I want to keep a hands-on approach with the content because I think that that's kind of where the secret sauce is, right? Like people come to it from a personality standpoint of knowing what they can expect from the content side. Um, But yeah, there's certainly things that can, can be helpful on the, on the, the uh, kind of what I'll call the operational side. So that stuff is, is obviously um, needed. And then I think, yeah, like a podcast is coming. So that'll be uh, more work, more content, more interviews, all that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm just focused head down on the content right now. And the podcast, like what is, uh, that, that'll be you or you and your brothers or anyone else, or it's going to be your podcast and it's going to be sponsored by this thing, or it's sort of just off the cusp of your stuff. What, what type of guests will you be going for? Just people in the industry, sports people or, or what, what particular? Yeah. So we're still figuring that out. Um, I think to start what I'm going to do is I'm going to, so I, I have about a hundred, 150 of these threads now, basically just historically cool sports business stories. So there's going to be a mix of that. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. There's going to be a mix of that. That's going to go on YouTube. And then the other ones are going to be interview style, um, where it's me talking about athletes, about their investments. And I think 
what I found by doing this is a lot of athletes feel that, uh, you know, the stat that people used to throw out is like 80% of athletes go broke within three to four years after they're retired. And that's just one, I don't even necessarily know if it was true at the time, but it's certainly not true anymore. Um, and I think that a lot of these guys get bad reps from that. And I think a lot of them are doing really well with their investments. So what I've heard and the feedback I've gotten is a lot of these people want just a place to tell their story, right? And they want someone who they trust to be able to communicate this to an audience of, you know, how well they're doing financially. Uh, Because one, like, not only do I think a lot of them maybe don't trust the media, but I think that it comes off as bragging a little bit if you do it yourself, right? So I think they just want like a safe place to be able to talk through all that kind of stuff. So that's where I'm focused on at first. Uh, And then maybe it expands. Yeah, maybe we add more hosts or what it might be. But I think just from like a storytelling perspective, it's super compelling for fans to hear directly from the athletes uh, what they're looking at, what their interests lie, what they plan on doing outside of the sport they play, uh, what they're investing in and how well they've done financially. I think there's a ton of cool stories. I've gotten a lot of professional athletes that want to tell them. Um, so now it's just about kind of merging the gap between the casual fan and what the athlete wants to share. And hopefully the podcast creates a safe space for them to do that. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a great point. It's kind of tricky, right? Cause it's like you're, you can come across as bragging, but it's also nice to let people know what you're up to, what you're doing, you know, what, 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 what things, you know, there's a lot of athletes have charity components, but they're also doing well on their own. Uh, who are, who are some of the more impressive athletes from a you know, perspective of, um, just kind of looking, you know, LeBron, what he's done with his school, his team, his marketing. You know, I saw, I saw your story actually, but I knew I heard it as well. Like the, you know, does a major deal with, with Fenway. He's getting t- attached to Liverpool, kind of broadening his brand internationally. Kevin Durant, I know he's got a very business savvy team. Uh, the board yep. director, right? They got a podcast. He's got a, he's got a kind of, uh, you know, I know from, from mutual friends, like, what he's doing, some of the other things he's doing. Like he's got his hand in a lot of stuff. The guy seems very interested, or he's got a great team that puts makes him interested, but he's in a lot of emerging industries, you know, with sports cards and other things, and just kind of yep. guys jump out at me. Is there, is there anyone else that like maybe like a fairly high profile name, someone that's just super business savvy and and you know, kind of uh making a name for himself, whether it's uh Wendy's fast food stuff or just somewhere in between, like a guy who's middle middle of the road, maybe popularity in the in professional sports, but such a business crusher. Yeah, let me. Th- I, I have to think about it a little bit. I think, but because the ones you you mentioned are perfect examples, right? Like um, when we think about, I, I sometimes get flack for this because people just don't agree. But right when you think about back in the day, um, in the NBA specifically, the, ba- the best business person was probably considered Michael Jordan, right? He's a billionaire now. He's one of the wealthiest athletes of all time. He's done really, really well financially. But when you think about what he was doing when he was playing really what he did was he sold his, his IP better than anyone. Right. So he licensed his name to Nike. They sold a bunch of shoes. Uh, but that's really what he was doing. Right. Like he was just super, super, super popular. Uh, and he built this massive brand. Don't get me wrong. That's obviously super impressive. But when you think about guys like LeBron James, Kevin Durant and people of that nature, when they retire, they're going to have full on enterprises, right? Like LeBron's got his hand in everything you can imagine. Kevin Durant, which you just mentioned, right. He's got the boardroom. They've made, tons of investments I tweeted about one last night. They just 25 X in investment that they made two years ago. Uh, Postmates, they made a big, a big splash on that one. Like they just have their hands in a lot of things and athletes today are just whether people want to agree or not, they're just so much more educated. Right. So if you pop on clubhouse on a random night, right. Like you'll, there's a chance you see an athlete in there talking about venture capital, right. Or investing or something like that. So I think that, um, people are just much more in tune with it and you're getting hit at a younger age. So a lot of these guys didn't really think about what they were going to do after playing basketball until 
most of them really when it was there, right? When they were already retiring or hurt or whatever it might be. Um, today's athlete is building these massive brands and, and massive companies while they are playing. And if you think about a player like LeBron, like I wrote about the other day, he's a hundred percent within, within five to 10 years after he retires, he's going to own an NBA team. And when you think about it from a financial perspective, an NBA team today costs two, three, four, five billion dollars, right? Like depending on what team you want to go after, uh, you can't. He can't afford that, right? Like he's made a billion plus dollars on the court. He's made a billion after. Uh, but when it's all said and done, like you have to put up a billion dollars plus to be able to own the team or be the majority owner. So he has to convince someone uh, to give him controlling interest of a team without putting up the most money, which is not easy to do, right? Like some players have done it. Derek Jeter did it. He only, I think, put up four or 5% of the deal when he got the Marlins. So there's certainly ways to do it. Um, by, but by expanding that relationship with Fenway Sports Group now, where he had a 2% share in Liverpool, and he basically transitioned that to a 1% share in the parent company, which is Fenway Sports Group, who owns, uh, just for those people who don't know, they, they own Liverpool, they own uh, the Boston Red Sox, they own the real estate around those organizations, they own a couple other minor league teams and esports organization, all that. But by doing that, he's setting himself up to have that potential, right? And and they're going to say, look, yeah, we're going to go raise money. We're going to go buy one of these teams. You can be the controlling owner of it, or at least in charge from an organizational standpoint. So when you think about it like that, today's athlete, I think it's just so much more knowledgeable about it. And they're presented with more information. Um, you know, they're not as, as much heavily criticized as other athletes might've been for off the court stuff. Right. So obviously social media shines a light on the negative things, but it also shines a light on the positive things. So when you think about it from an aspect of LeBron James, like, the average fan sees him as an incredible investor right now, right? When before social media existed, that might've not all gotten out and it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have happened really. Uh, but through his brand and through all that, he's really able to capitalize while he's still playing. Yeah, no, it's really impressive. It's super, super interesting. And, you know, he does just seem like uh you know, pretty unique guy where he's a, it's just like to be able to be, you know, at that level, you got to have a great team. And I, and I have heard that he's got a really good team around him and they're pretty, you know, he's uh He's making moves all the time. And it's it's hard because at, at that level, too, when you're such a celebrity or athlete, so many people want to take advantage of you. It's like really hard to have people that you trust, right? Money managers, agents, you know, there's there's a lot of people with their hands trying to get in, in the pocket. So you know, I think that seems to be what I what I noticed, like Kevin Durant, uh, LeBron James seems to have a great team and seems to trust them and, and things seem to get done in the right way. So, yeah, um, I was going to say at the end of the day, like these guys, you know, they're busy, right? So they can't do it all themselves. Certainly not possible. So the key is finding people you trust uh, that are incentivized financially with you. Right. And, and they're kind of incentivized to see you do well also um, and, and, and going to work with them. Right. And trusting them and allowing them to do their job and all that kind of stuff. And, and you can see with the best athletes, they all have it in place, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Kevin Durant, Tom Brady, whatever it might be, they all have that kind of structure in place where they have people that work for them that they trust that almost become like family over time. Right. Do you, do, would that be something you, you did the internship or you're at Octagon? It, would you, is owning an agency or being an agent, would that ever interest you or did it? And, and uh, what do you think on, on that? I think it did it first. Uh, it definitely did it first. I think that was kind of the main goal when I first started out. But what you realize really early on is especially in that industry, one, it's super, super hard to break through, not only in sports in general as an industry, but on the agent side, you really have to either know someone or do something like that. And my, like, even I worked at Octagon for a period of time, uh, and the agent side still would have been almost impossible to get into, right? Just because my my side was on the, you know, on the digital team and all that kind of stuff. And it's just a really super hard agent, uh, you know, 
industry to break into. And then you have to work, you know, five, 10 years before you're even able to go sign clients and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the more I looked at it, it was like, wait, I have a good opportunity to kind of do similar stuff on the business side of it, whether it's just talking about it or investing or working with other players on stuff like that. Um, it's kind of the side that I would have enjoyed more anyways, and I can do that now. So I really just went head down and started to do that instead. Yeah, no, it makes a lot. It's really, really cool. Uh, talk to me about your big project here. Uh, this, uh, this ETF you, you've joined with, uh, let me find, is this the one right here? MVP. Yeah. It was this, is it down below or the tweet? Is this the one where you, Yeah, that's the main tweet. Yeah. I was just retweeting people there. Okay. Um, yeah. But that's the main tweet. So what it is, is it's called, uh, I, I think you passed it. Yeah. Um, it's a video. Yes. This one, right? Right there. Yep. Right there. Uh, so what it is, is it's the first ETF that will allow you know retail investors to invest in professional sports teams and leagues. So really what I am is I'm just a marketing partner. So I'm a, a partner in the ETF, but I'm just on the marketing side. So Roundhill launched it. I worked with them on, on not necessarily the holding side of it, but just kind of from a structural standpoint, how we think about the market. Uh, and if you think about it in the concept from, we'll just start high level and move down is like the global sports market is massive, right? So, uh, and it's continuously grown. So I think the stats that were quoted were, it was a $471 billion market in 2018, and it's supposed to be $626 billion by 2023. So that's a 33% increase uh, within just a few years. And that's even with a contraction in 2020 due to COVID-19. So when you think about it from there, it's a growing industry. And then people, you've probably seen these all the time when the, when the yearly or the annual Forbes rankings come out or valuations or whatever it might be. Um, the teams, the franchises are just growing a lot. So when you look across not only the NFL, but the MLB, the NBA, NHL, Premier League, et cetera, all the teams that are kind of in this fund, they're all growing really well financially. So they, I think the average franchise has appreciated 500% over the last decade. So just massive uh, equity growth. It's not correlated to other assets. Uh, so, so that's obviously a positive. And then if you look at like the NFL was announced yesterday, they had a streaming deal. It's a 100% increase from their last deal. It's an 11 year deal. And then Amazon got in it, right? So people always think about streaming as a negative to the linear television business. But when you think about it in terms of media rights, it's actually a huge positive because it just brings more bidders to the table, right? And there's still enough eyeballs within traditional television and advertising dollars for them to, for those deals to be lucrative. But now Amazon's added to the competition. They want to pay whatever it might be. So those deals are obviously huge. And then sports betting is the other side of it, right? So I want to say it's like 20, 20 or 30% of the population, uh, only 30% of the population has access to legalized mobile sports betting, which is, you know, a fraction of what it will eventually be. So that, that creates additional revenue streams for the NFL, all these professional leagues, not only the league level, but the teams, right? So this ETF is really just a way to capture all that value. And all these are obviously publicly traded already. It's teams like the Knicks, the Rangers through Madison Square Garden. It's teams like Manchester United, uh, Uentes, whatever it might be, Formula One, WWE. There's some apparel brands like Nike, Puma, Adidas, uh, stuff like that. So I think, yeah, it's just it's just another opportunity for sports fans to invest in teams and say they have ownership in, in companies they know and love, right? So and I think it's at an interesting time because when you think about COVID-19, these teams are all beaten up, right? Like they didn't have fans. You, it was in the news every day, right? The league, NBA is losing $3 billion. The NFL is losing X amount. These teams can't have fans. Barcelona is in trouble. Manchester United is in trouble, whatever it might be, right? But I think now is an interesting time because we're going to pick up that level where fans are going to return to stadiums. Hopefully life returns to you know, some normalcy to some degree, right? And uh, these teams really see an improvement financially. So I think it's a super um, awesome time to launch it. I'm super excited about it from a partnership perspective. 
The Roundhill team is great. They have a few other ETFs uh, like Bets, which does sports betting. They have Subs, which is streaming services. So they're kind of at the forefront of the way I look at it from a uh, they they do really well uh, thematic ETFs from a you know a theme perspective, and they pick topical things that are streaming, sports betting, professional sports teams, whatever it might be, and they perform really well. Um, so it launched last week. And really now we're just focused on, um, you know, ramping up the AUM and all that kind of stuff. But from a financial perspective, I write about these companies all the time. So it was kind of a natural transition and audience that obviously cares about it to partner with them and and be able to put a fund together for people to invest in them. And how big for ETFs do you think, um, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's all these three letter initial exciting things and NFTs. How big do you think it'll be for potentially franchises and sports to be able to NFT stuff? And it does seem a bit complicated about rights, right? Like, you know, for uh, you own a team, right? You're the owner, but like former players used to play there. And then, you know, say in the sixties, seventies, like say you NFT uh, Walter Payton or Barry Sanders, right? Like, was there even stuff like this in the contracts back then? Now it's becoming popular and maybe, you know, it just seems a bit confusing on like the rights and the pro- proprietary rights and all these different things. It's kind of the wild West in a way. Uh, there yeah. hasn't been a lot of precedent. So how, how does that work? And do you think a lot of clubs are going to really capitalize on this and, and will some, you know, same thing, some clubs will do it well, some won't, or will the leagues just umbrella it where like the NFL or the NBA with top shot, you know, like, like, uh, just to kind of, I, sorry, it's a Twitch streamer, me man. I just, I say a lot at once, so I'm gonna throw a lot at you. I want to know. Go ahead. I want to know, like, uh, let's take Michael Jordan or Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal. I heard Shaquille O'Neal and Allen Iverson were being released on Top Shot this month or last month. It was this month. They're coming up, right? Like Michael Jordan's not on Top Shot, but Tim Duncan is, or some names are. There's Vince Carter's on there. So, like, well, how does that work? Like, how, how does a guy? Do they have do they have a say in it? Are they partnering with them? Are they uh, are they exempt and every player makes their own deal? And are new players in the NBA now, is it not their say? But but old players, they do have a say. Like, how does that work? Do you, are you familiar with the top shot and the, the economics on that? Yeah, so I'm familiar with top shot. I don't know necessarily about those deals specifically. Uh, so the easiest way to think about it is like, let's take Rob Gronkowski, for example. He released some NFTs the other day. Uh and they sold really well. They sold really quick. He made a couple million dollars in a short period of time. But if you notice, there was no NFL logos. There was no, yeah. it was from his time with the Patriots. Right. I think there was no team logos, any of that kind of stuff, right? Because the league has the rights to all that. So it's same thing with the NBA. They own the rights to the moments. They own the IP on the videos. Uh, so even though you own the moment, you don't own the video. You just own that moment that's minted in, in the serial number or whatever it might be. So that's the easiest way on a top level to think about it. The team own, or the league typically owns kind of the IP behind uh, their league or their organization or whatever it might be. When you think about it uh, from an individual person player, yes, they can do things like Rob Gronkowski did, which your name, your image, your likeness, but also on Top Shot specifically. So that's a good example. Um, the revenue, right? They have a, so the NBA gets a, a percentage of Top Shot sales, right? So they get, I don't know if it's even public or whatever it might be, but I think Top Shot gets 5%. You might know better than me, but they, uh, and then it's regarded that the the NBA gets like maybe two and a half or, or half of that. So that percentage, if you remember though, is that the NBA splits their revenue, total revenue with the with the NBA Players Association. So players are seeing some of this in their wallets, right? Like, Granted, if a LeBron moment sells for $200,000 and another player's moment sells for $1,000, those aren't equal. Their contribution is not necessarily equal. But in the uh, in the NBA Players Association, like that flow down is probably more similar. So that's that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but players are being compensated. It's going in their pocket, of, or a percentage of it at least is. 
Uh, I think it's now just about figuring out ways where they can kind of circumvent that system, right? So Rob Gronkowski did it by doing his own NFTs. Other players have done it. Other players are continuing to do it. And I know other players will do it within the next few weeks here. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of the wild west, right? Like this didn't, it did, but it didn't really exist even two months ago, right? Three months ago, whatever it might be. The NBA Top Shot product has been here for a while. Uh, but the NFL is now looking at doing something similar. There's other leagues that are are thinking about it. I've seen uh, college, who was it? Uh, I forget the name who it was, but one of the colleges minted their first ever tweet the other day and they were selling it on that, on the website or whatever. So you're going to see a lot more of it. Mark Cuban says he thinks top shot can be a top three revenue source for the NBA. So that's obviously massive. Other leagues are looking at that to implement something similar. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see over the next, you know, six, 12, 18 months, these rules get very, very narrowly defined, right? Just so there's no gray area. There's no, it's just super black and white of what players can and can't do. Um, because I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of people seeing, hey, Rob Gronkowski just made two million dollars or what, whatever it was, one point two in an hour or five minutes even. Um, like, how can I do that? And they want to find ways to monetize this as an additional revenue stream. Um, so it's just important that these leagues make it super clear on what they are and aren't allowed to do. Uh, okay, and and yeah, it's someone else mentioned something or there was some tweeter. I think NFL said like, hold on or don't do it. like. It's kind of like. Yeah, it's it's a bit bizarre, right? Like if you because you can circumvent that's that's the big word there. Like if you're a player and you just take off the logos, you know, it could get kind of weird. Like if Gronkowski now is part of the NFL where they sign with OMI, you know, the Ecomire, one of these these sites that does the NFTs, and then he's like in there, but he's also got his own on the side. It could get kind of bizarre. And it's like, is there really value? Like Rob Gronkowski, obviously good personality, right? People know who he is. Yeah, he's he's got a fan base, but is that NFT he did today? Is there value in that in three years, five years? Are people going to be trading that and wanting that? And is someone getting left holding the bag, right? With these type of things, I think that's the big kind of question: is there liquidity? Is it gonna is it gonna work? And you know how how many players can do it? Like in theory, you would think it's almost there's a market for NFTs for almost every player, right? Like people have fan bases in the NBA. Almost you know any starter in the NBA probably has like some some sort of loyal following to some degree but you know is that is that enough for a marketplace for them to yeah. be traded and stuff and, and i don't know what do you think on that like where's the cut i was off? gonna say i was gonna say I, I don't i can't answer honestly right like i don't know from where are we in five year standpoint anyone who tells you that they know for certain is lying right, right? but i think i think one of the interesting parts about nfts is that it allows uh even like the you know a bench player on a team to monetize their brand right and when you think about it like every professional player has a, has a fan base of some type, right? The NFL is probably harder if you're the sixiest man on a squad or on a practice team and you don't get much publicity or whatnot. But the fifth guy uh, off the bench on an NBA team, he absolutely has an audience, right? And he has a brand and the, the fans know who he is, especially the hardcore fans. So really it's just about catering to those fans that are in that digital atmosphere. And when you think about it from an NFT standpoint, like, it's a super easy way to do it, right? So you're able to create that additional revenue stream. Do we know if they'll be able to trade them or, or there'll be a marketplace for them in years? No, but I think it's kind of the same thing as art, right? Like if if you buy a piece of art, you don't know if someone's going to pay more or less for it in five years. You're hoping that they're going to pay more or you're, or you're doing it just for fun. But I also think we're going to see people... Um, turn much, much different things, right? I, th- I don't think it's just going to be just capitalizing for a financial gain. I think we're going to see people mint moments that they really care about, right? So you go in an NBA game, can they mint that experience for you? So you can look back on it and be like, Hey, I was at this game, whatever this is, ha- this is what happened there. You get, uh, you know, an NFT from a moment during the game for free with your ticket or whatever it might be. But I think we're just going to see the market flooded with that stuff. 
And to be quite fair, like that's part of the concern of some people, right? If there's too much supply and not enough demand, then there's an issue with pricing. But if everything's an NFT, like is that an issue? I don't necessarily know. I think some things will always hold, hold more value than others, uh, similar to kind of what we see in the physical world with art and stuff like that. But it's really up for debate, right? Like, I, you know, no one can give you a straight answer. No one can see the future. Um, but I definitely think NFTs provide like a unique ability for athletes to monetize their fan bases. Um, and I think all of that's good, right? I think it's good that we're able to find a free market for intellectual property. I think it's good that athletes are finding other ways to monetize their brand. Um, and I, I don't see that necessarily going away. There will probably be deviations of it. But the right. other thing to keep in mind is I always tell people is like, there's a lot of intellectual capital flowing into the space right now. And that's one of those things you don't want to bet against, right? Is like when you see a lot of smart people and a lot of money being poured into an asset class, like that's something you usually pay attention to. And I think we're seeing that in the digital space and specifically with NFTs. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually had a kind of thought on that specifically. Mark Cuban, obviously a visionary, super sharp guy. He likes NBA Top Shot. He's in the space, but you know, I could easily see at a game, like, go, you know, I don't know if you ever went to Cedar Point, probably Six Flags, right? You've been to, yeah. you know, like you want to ride and you take a picture like that. I could easily see the uh, Dallas Mavericks, yeah. you know, like you sit, you go to the game on your way out or at halftime, end of the quarter, you know, stop by the NFT stand and they'll, they'll give you an NFT of your, of, yeah, of you in the stand. They got a picture of you or a play and they, they make like a narrated thing for you. You know, like, yeah, that, that seems like that's not not too far out where, you know, it might just be part of like, a, or an option, right. To buy for an extra $20 or to monetize it in some way. So, yeah, I think that's uh yeah, I think you're, you're, you're spot on there. I got to ask you about sports cards. I'm obsessed. I have a couple of friends that yeah. are pretty big in the industry. Well, what's your thoughts on that in that industry? You saw the Michael Jordan 10 went for 738 K two of them sold on golden auctions. Like maybe it was early February when it peaked, took a dip, obviously, like it was just not sustainable at that pace. And with what was going on, uh, are you bullish on sports cards? Do you have sports cards? Did you collect sports cards? Yeah. So I own a lot of uh, sports cards through fractional investing. So most, most of what I do is I, I have obvious, you know, I have an interest, a general interest in course cards. I think they're an incredible um, asset class. I've spent a lot more time on them recently just because of kind of the uh, inflow of people into the space. I think NFTs in the digital space are good for physical sports cards, actually. I think it's bringing a lot more attention to the hobby. And I think that when there's kind of that natural uh, flow out or, or people losing interest in it in total, I think that physical sports cards will catch some of those people. Because at the end of the day, people want to see things, they want to touch things, right? It's just human nature to be able to do some of that. So I don't think it's necessarily going to go away like some people have claimed. Um, but I think, yeah, like some of these prices are incredible. It's, it's awesome. I think that we're seeing, uh, more investment into the space, whether it is collector's universe, whether it's golden auctions, getting the 40 million, um, and, and collector's universe being bought star stock, right? So rare, all these different companies are flowing into the space and we're seeing a lot of capital, uh, not only intellectual, but literally venture capital. So I think that's all good from an industry perspective. Um, and I'm bullish on the industry. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's here to stay. I think people are going to see the value in it. It's just like anything else, right? Like the scarcity is created. If people see value and are willing to pay more, it's going to stick around. Um, and I think what we're seeing too is one of the unique things that I have experienced in just talking to different athletes and stuff is that a lot of them right now are going out and they're going to, they're, they're actively buying up their rookie cards and stuff of that nature, right? They're trying to find their most exclusive cards and they're purchasing them because yeah. I when saw you think Ray about Allen, it. Ray Allen bought his logo, man. And you know, yep. some, it's actually funny because my buddy, one of, well, not my buddy, one of my very good friends who lives in Miami was golfing with Ray Allen and he, because I've gotten into sports cards pretty heavily a couple of years ago, more so in the last year, um, even more and like got him into it. And then he was like golfing, asked him about it. And I don't want to, I don't know if he was the one that specifically put him onto it, but then sure enough, I saw this like 
two weeks later, he like bought this and reached out. So yeah, it might be that. I mean, that's big, right? When these type of personalities, Ray Allen type level guys start buying their cards and their fans start seeing that and that they're interested in it. You know, that, I don't think we've really got that full pump yet either, right? Like LeBron James, I think he, he alluded to that he had one of those cards, whether he does or, you know, like he's like, oh, I got to, and Tom Brady, I got to check my attic. Like these guys, once they start thinking it's cool and you see the biggest names collecting their own cards and like t- talking about it, that's going to make people like, you know, really move like Kevin Durant, I know is into it pretty heavily, for example, yep. but yeah, I don't know if he's like publicly like shown his cards or talked about it, but like, that's the kind of thing that can really, I think, you know, the market cap's so small, I believe it's like nine to 12 billion now, roughly estimated. And like, you know, yep. look at Bitcoin, it's a trillion dollar market. And you know, like when a guy comes in for 10 million, 3 million, 1 million, 500 K, it moves the needle on prices. So, um, I mean, that's, that's why I feel it's so powerful. And I think that it's just like you said, it's like also guys like me, I got a two-year-old son, I'm 34. You know, I have friends that are 40, 50. They got kids in high school, college, there's a nice connection there. Like a father and son, like, Oh, I like pistol Pete. My dad, that's his favorite player. I buy him a card, like a gift in a seven yep. or six. You know, we talk about that. I learned some history of the game and players and who was the, you know, who are the personalities back then? Like, where did they go to school? Were they smart? Were they dumb? Were they business savvy? And you start like picking up players. And then that's like a connection point. My dad's now collecting cards some, and he likes it. And I teach him like, Oh, Zion or, you know, John Rand, these are the new guys. And it's, there's sort of like yep. a, an intersection of, uh, you know, I mean, it's a pastime, right? So sports are huge in the U S in particular. And like Europe hasn't even really caught on or China, like once China and the other part of the world start like really, uh, getting into sports cards, like who knows, right? I mean, it could just, it could just go, you know, that just could. Well, I was going to, I was going to add one thing too, is right. That that's the most interesting part. And I love that part of it. Right. But that's really only half of it too, which is the other half is the, the investing side of it, right? Like people are now starting to see it as a legitimate asset class of investing. The returns have been insane on some of these cards over the last year. Uh, there's there's fractional platforms, like I alluded to before, that are giving people access to the most exclusive cards in the market. So they're kind of democratizing access for individual or retail investors. So all of that is good, right? Like when you build out this infrastructure and companies like Collectors Universe are going to improve, Golden Auction is going to improve, right? Like when the infrastructure starts to improve and there's all this capital flowing into the space, like the market cap has to get bigger, right? Like it, right. it, it just has to. And I think that's what we're going to say. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, eva- like the evaluate that market, you've seen that, have you seen those portfolio where you can look at your top shot portfolio? Yep. Have you seen that? So like, yep. that's the type of stuff I think that's also missing because, you know, a couple of my buddies, like I'll shot Jason Kuntz, Josh Luber. I don't know if you know these guys, yeah. but they're, they're in the, in the yeah. good. So like that, th- that's, there's going to be some winners in this space too. Cause there's like vintage card prices.com. There's like uh buy the peak or whatever. There's a few sites where you can kind of plug in your cards, but once you can just like scan your card and it like goes in and you see the latest sale, like this isn't quite there yet. And it's going to be apps. It's like, you know, stock X, right. Are you familiar with that company? Uh, yep. Josh Luber. So he's been on my podcast, talked about it. And he sees the same type of thing with cards as what with, with shoes, but this marketplace, it, it, like back in the day, Beckett, I don't know if you ever had Beckett's like you had to like look up in a magazine yeah. and once a month, the cards. Now it's like, you can look the latest 10 prices quickly. And even so more, it's going to be able to like you, people want to see that like crypto, you want to type in what you got, what coins you got, how much are you currently worth? And then moving and once that's like, you know, I think we're a year or two out from that. And I think that'll just like, moon it as well people like yeah. love that real-time value feeling and understanding you know one of the companies that just raised money uh you may be familiar with them it's called alt i don't know if you've heard of them they oh. it's 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 they're basically trying to do what you just explained so it's going to be like a portfolio management tool 
uh, for card collecting. So they're going to have, there's going to be transactions. You can, you know, I think their fees only like one and a half percent or whatever it might be, but it's, it's smaller than typical. Uh, you're going to be able to, there's going to be a portfolio management tool. So you can see all your cards in there, kind of track the prices of, of where they're trading at all that kind of stuff with valuations. They're going to custody your cards if you want them to. So you don't have to keep them in your house, right? If you have a million dollar card, you don't want to keep that in your basement, uh, stuff like that. And then they're going to authenticate them and all that and provide insurance and everything that goes along with it. So I think that's like, that's a huge opportunity, right? If someone can get all of it into one, one house and allow you one screen to look at not only valuations, but what you own, keep it in one safe place, whatever it might be. um, There's huge potential in that. I I also, the one thing that I will say, like, I just, I mean, I just got like, you know, I got cards all over the place and like Super Bowl tickets and I love it. Like the PSA, they got graded for, I got, I got like, whatever. I, I like all different sports, you know, and I got the Brady signed tickets, Super Bowl, his first Super Bowl and these type of memorabilia, which I think also memorabilia, certain types hasn't really caught on. But I, I just think like, I, what are the PSA deals? 835 million. It takes 10 months to get a card in. If you don't do it like expedited, the prices are super yeah. high. $20 in 10 months to get your card back to send in right now. I mean, that's just crazy. Like yeah. the, the, it shows you what the demand uh, really is. Oh, my point was what hasn't been able though, that, which is kind of, um, this is also be a really cool product. I don't know what it is in particular, but it's sports cards. Aren't super easy to display. Like if I want to come over, like say you come over and I got a really sick collection, like it's kind of hard to have a way, like, you don't know, like there's small cards, like you put them on a wall and like an art piece, like how do you do it to look at it? There's a front and back. So like, I feel like that's kind of a tricky one to look at too. Cause it really is about the story, right? The talking piece. Oh, I got a Jordan nine. I got a, yeah. you know, a Hank Aaron seven, like that's cool. It's fun. And it's whatever, but how do you showcase it? Yeah, don't people want to show each other. They want to be able to, you come to my house. I want to show you what I have. You got to clean, cleaning people around. You don't want to leave it in your like lobby or like your entrance way and just have them like sitting yeah. out either. It doesn't make sense. So it's kind of like a weird deal where it's almost like a one-on-one or when you have friends over something like, oh, I'll show you and you go to your thing. But like, I don't know. I just feel like there'd be, there could be a, uh, a way to display better. Um, that, that, that could be, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I think that's what like are a- these things you probably know uh, better than me, but the, the, like the hologram looking ones for digital moments, I've seen those, those are pretty cool. Oh, to display your, 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 yeah. Like the top I, shot moments. I've seen it. I don't know, but exactly that, right? Like you have, like you walk in, there's a projector, yeah. a piece of your thing. It's like on replay. If you have a hundred moments, you can just like circulate them. And it looks yeah, that that's, that's also not really, um, present, uh, like in, in terms of, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. And I love this stuff. So, all right, let's, let's go to some questions. Cause we've covered a lot. Uh, and I yep. do want to give people a chance. We do have a giveaway for 55. Please retweet guys, the, the tweets, and we will take this one right here. And we're going to go and just dive through this and then I'll plug this in and enter it. Uh, okay. So let me see. Oh, we got it. We got to click it. Never mind. I think, uh, is this, Oh no, we're okay. We're here. All right. Um, what's the worst pick you knew of uh what what is i guess a game is there ever a sports line or pick is that i think that's what he's referencing is there ever like a line that just stood out to you that was like the easiest play of all time i don't know if that's what he's Uh, asking i don't know um it's kind of a bizarre question i don't even know if that's what he's asking but um what's the worst pick or maybe oh maybe like uh worst pick like in that in a draft like someone that was like high up i don't know if that's what he means uh (laughs) um I had to have to think about it. I mean, every time in, in gambling, I think that it's the worst thing ever. I always lose. So, <laughs> um, outside of that, I mean, yeah, people swing and miss on draft picks all the time. I think the toughest part is like, you know, you're able to do as much due diligence as you want, but like 
uh, NFL GMs always talk about all the time. Like these guys, you don't really know them until they're in your building. Right. So it's, um, it's always tough to grade, you know, people are always looking for a quarterback in the NFL. So you miss on a lot of those. Um, but I, I mean, there's all the normal ones probably stick out for me that are st- same as other people to Marcus Russell, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel, stuff like that. Very. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of hard, right? It's so, you know, it's, it's actually really interesting. I've learned something recently that they, you know, a lot of these, uh, these, and it makes sense, but they hire like investigators for some of these top athletes, right? Like they like literally teams will during the draft process and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you've heard this or not, they'll literally yeah. hire private investigators, go see like what they're up to, what they're doing, who they're dealing with, what their habits are. I mean, have you heard of this? Is this because this is totally new to me. It makes sense though. Have you, do you know of this? Yeah. I mean, I don't think a team would ever admit it, but there's definitely stuff like that going on. I think, um, you know, like, like I said, they won't admit it, but everyone wants to know kind of what kind of person they're getting. Right. So I think some ones are a little more obvious than others. Uh, but when you don't know a person and people are criticizing them or they say there's more to it or something like that, you want to find out for yourself, especially if you're considering taking them, especially if they're immensely talented. Right. So it's easy to throw around a, a late draft pick and say, he's got character concerns. We're not going to deal with it. But when a guy's one of the best players in the draft, it's like, okay, let's dig a little deeper here. Maybe that's something that's a little more necessary. Uh, but yeah, there's certainly stuff going like that on. I think it's you know more popular in their larger professional leagues, but they'll never admit it. Right. How do you get good information in sports uh, from Sylvina, who actually won a, a hundred dollars in Bitcoin on the on the last giveaway? So she's going for more. She's eligible. And <laughs> good luck. Uh, I uh, I'm everywhere online, right? Like I think there's just so much. The internet is amazing, right? It's there's so much information everywhere, whether it's on uh, sports specific websites, whether it's podcasts, whether it's Reddit, whether you know, there's just a million different ways to get information. Um, but yeah, I, I use all the social media sites, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. I check all the sports websites. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I'm on Reddit. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I think there's that's one of the tough things about um, the content side is like podcasts are one of the best ways to find like good, interesting nuggets that can go viral and people want to hear about and everything like that. But there's so many of podcasts, right? Like there's just so many people, uh, athletes are on ones all the time. Every athlete has their own. So you just don't have enough time to listen to all of them. Um, so I, I think that's a good way to find content in sports. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it's just, uh, you know, the same channels everyone else does. I just, you know, I, I have a lot more time in my day now that I do this full time to, to be able to find the interesting stuff. For sure. Um, what is, uh, well, we got some life questions here. Let me just scroll over. Can you I don't know if you can see these on there. I can see um, it, man. Do you think that due to this pandemic, well, this is a poker question. I don't think you said you're very little other than you're uh, punishing your brothers. You don't really have a lot of poker. (laughs) Yeah. Over that one since uh, it's a poker question. Uh, We we played, uh, I was going to say we played last time we were home for the holidays and my dad won. So if that tells you my experience, I let my old man beat me in poker. Uh oh. Well, you know, maybe, maybe that's, uh, he's, you know, that's not bad. That means he's sharp. He's a hustler. Yeah. Yeah, he's dialed in. Maybe plays a bit, so that, that's cool. Favorite sport? What's your favorite sport to play and cover? Um, I like football the most, probably. I think I I like all of them. I grew up, you know, like I said, I played football, basketball, baseball, so I have kind of like a feeling towards all of them. But I think football is awesome. I love watching football games. It's the most enjoyable game to go to. I think um, you know there there's a bunch to cover in the athlete side and everything like that. So probably football if I had to pick one, but I don't necessarily have like a huge opinion one way or the other. For sure. Uh, do you think that poker could be considered a sport in the future? Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on poker as a sport? You know, there's some arguments on that or it could be an Olympic sport, but it's, you know, what, what, what is your just instincts tell you if, since you're not really deep into poker? Definitely. No, definitely. Why, why not? I think, right. Like, um, 
it gets more TV time, or at least it did at one point than a lot of these other sports, right? When you think about kind of the World Series of Poker or whatever it might be. Um, I know, what was the deal that happened in poker a few months ago? Uh, who, didn't someone buy someone? Let me see. Uh, yeah, there's been a few deals, like World Series of Poker. Yeah, but um, like, what's the poker tour called? Uh, World Poker Tour? World, World Poker Tour as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure. Yeah, they sold to Element Partners for 80 million bucks. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure, I think that, right. Anything that has enough interest in it and is exciting enough and poker obviously has huge prizes. There's a lot of eyes on it. A lot of people love to play it, whether it's, uh, you know, for fun or, or professionally, I think that's obviously interesting and it has to be something that people can get behind, which, which poker obviously is there's personalities in poker. People know the players, you see their faces. Um, so I think for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, how big is the ESPN deal for NHL? And will this give hockey the shot it needs to grow well? Because hockey just seems to not have it just fallen off. I grew up in Detroit or well, Ann Arbor. Can't really I can't claim Detroit. I'm you know whatever Michigan and Detroit. I grew up like Iserman, Fedorov. The Red Wings were great. It was fun. Hockey was you know fast. I went to a game. It was actually pretty fun, right? It's like hits and it's moving quickly. Uh, fun to watch, but it just seems like it just sort of fall fallen off. At least from a, a coverage standpoint. I remember like on ESPN. I think the NHL playoffs last. Year. Like I didn't even know what's going on. The NBA bubble was exciting and just doesn't seem to have the pizzazz. What, what's going on with the NHL? And is this a big deal with ESPN for them? Yeah, I think it's good. I think um, it was just under like $3 billion deal and it gives ESPN rights to not only media, but they get like exclusive games, maybe uh, 25 or 30 of them on ESPN and ABC. Uh, and they get some playoffs and they get a Stanley cup or, or whatever it might be. And, and I think really what ESPN is doing is they're using a lot of free ESPN plus. I think it was like a thousand plus games will be on ESPN plus. So it's a contributing factor, uh, to, to the streaming side. Right. So a lot of these people, the fight we're seeing right now is a lot of them want exclusive sports content on the streaming side. So Peacock has signed deals with the WWE. They signed a deal with, uh, premier league lacrosse. We're seeing Amazon go in to get the NFL deal. Uh, ESPN's getting NHL for the streaming side. So I think what we're seeing is like, that's the big differentiating factor. And if I was to, I don't have it on hand, but there's graphs that show you, right? Like, um, uh, when Peacock did the premier league, when they put premier league exclusively behind the Peacock paywall, they uh, the signups were through the roof. I think it was their largest signup day in history. So when you think about sports as an asset to start getting signups for the streaming side, and as we transition to the digital atmosphere, uh, it makes a ton of sense, right? So for ESPN's perspective, I think it's great. For the fans' perspective, I think it's great. More games will be on TV. You'll be able to see more of them. You'll get direct access as well as like kind of all behind the scenes right. stuff. The problem that I think NHL fe- sees, and this is just my perspective, right? I don't think it's necessarily like, you know, the consensus at this point, but it's the same thing that's always been the problem is not enough people. It's a regionalized game, right? So you said uh, there's like Canada, the Northeast, whatever, like certain states play hockey and others don't. Right. So I think there's just like me, I grew up in North Carolina, people play hockey there. I didn't play hockey. So it was always like, it just wasn't one of those things that I watched growing up. Right. So it, I think it's a regionalized game. Football is different. And if uh, the NBA is different, MLB is different. So when you're thinking about that, it's like a, you know, in the, down a checklist of players, right? I always talk about specifically about the MLS. The U.S. struggles when it comes to soccer because the best athletes in the in the U.S. in the country don't necessarily go for soccer. The LeBron James, all these guys, right? Like there's a there's a hierarchy of sports, and if you're not on one of those top two or three, you really kind of get second fiddle uh, treatment. So I think NHL will get better as they get more coverage and there's more publicity on it, uh, and it has. But it's the same thing with the MLS. It's kind of a similar problem.
Um, that's a great point. I didn't really think about it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. There's just too much areas where it's just not a thing or, you know, not, not, uh, not so popular. Also, I don't think the daily fantasy is so popular with that or, or if they even do it, like, I'm not sure maybe there is or isn't. Well, there's, yeah, that's a good point too, is like the ancillary aspect of it that really engages fans. So from a sports betting perspective, the NFL does really well there. The NBA does really well there. Uh, baseball's lagged a little bit, but that's why you see that a lot, um, Someone's commenting and said top athletes play soccer in all nations. <laughs> yeah. Uh in in other countries, yeah. And that's why I laugh. Like, don't don't um I don't want to act like I'm giving soccer a hard time because uh who was it? Colin Coward said the other day they had his list of most influential athletes or most popular athletes in the world. And he had Tom Brady first. And I got a good laugh out of that because it was like, if you go to one of these other countries in Europe or, or in Asia or something like that, most of these people don't even know who Tom Brady is. Right. And he's massive in America. He's one of the greatest athletes of all time. But if you go to like a, you know, a mid European country, they don't know who he is. But if Messi comes here, if Ronaldo comes here, everyone knows who he is all across the world. Their fan bases are global. I right. think uh, the stat is that Ronaldo has like 400 or 500 million followers on, in, on social media which is the U S is 330 million people. So sure. There's some bots and stuff in there, but when you think about it in that perspective, these guys are global. Um, so soccer obviously does really well in other countries, but now it's just about how can the, how can the U S replicate that success? Yeah, that's uh that's super interesting. Where would be your power rankings for those type of athletes? I mean, they have this right. But like in your mind, there's some stats skewed, like just, I mean, does that, that's, that's the answer. Some of these guys like Ronaldo, even like Pele, Maradona, these guys, their names are, they're just like a worldwide recognition right i mean they're, they got yeah, a different level it's a different level right. like even like uh like Le- lebron right if he goes to asia and, and china and all that kind of stuff like he's recognized right it's massive but soccer stars are just like a, a, a it's a different level the messies of the world ronaldo's of the world they're recognized in every single country of every single pocket of wherever right like they, people know who they are so it's it's right. it's slightly different uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's super interesting. That's also why you know, I think the world cup with sports cards in particular, I, I've, I've gotten pretty into collecting and, uh, and, and, so, and I actually played soccer through college. So I, you know, I love it. And I just think that's like kind of underrated still like Europe and people I know they, that's not really a thing, sports cards and collecting over there. So that's another yeah. big opportunity plus the world cup coming up. You know, I think that's, uh, it's going to be really popular. I mean, shit, go to Qatar, take some sports cards with grades on it and go set up a booth. I mean, you probably, you know, you never know. You have a chic or two, just pick it for whatever, you know, just <laughs> choose your price. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a definitely an option too. Uh, let's take a few more. Tell me if you got to go here too. I know you said around this yeah, time. We can, we'll go. Got a couple. All right. Favorite sport. We did that. A lot of favorite sport questions. Uh do you like to mess with chips or money? I don't know. Question or maybe a poker reference. Uh, do you, when you go to a casino, do you, would you rather play with cash or chips like at a table? Do you ever play? Have you ever played? You ever been to the hard rock in South Florida or, you know, Vegas, obviously I'm sure you played poker at some point, right? Have you played at a table? Yeah, I've definitely played uh, poker at a table. I usually stick more to blackjack when I go to a casino just so I don't uh, lose all my cash, but right. Um, yeah. Fair, fair I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fa- match. Fixing in football. I don't know if he means American football, real football. What do you think about match fixing? How big of a problem is this? You don't see a ton of stories and probably for the better, right? You don't want to focus on these type of things, but stuff does happen. You do hear stories or the Italian soccer league scandal, this and that. Like, what, What's your thoughts on this topic? Is this a problem? Whatever, just part of it. There's going to be some some stuff always. And, and Yeah, I mean, it's a shady business for sure. I think that there's always going to be an issue to some degree. Uh, and it was probably more prevalent back in the day than it is today, just with kind of the, um, the transparency of a lot more, right? With not only social media and all this stuff, but just people are keeping more of an eye on it. And there's conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's probably always going to be a problem to some degree. 
Yeah, I uh, man, it's um, it's it's just unfortunate. But the, you know, the basketball. It's funny though. Time heals all, right? The basketball had a problem. NBA refs, like there, there is yeah. stuff part of it, right? It's also part of the luck and part of the the stuff, right? Like there's no guarantees in life. I always tell my friends and people, this there's no zero or a hundred percent, right? Like you just don't know like what, what's really happening. And, and even if something seems like a lock, there could be something weird or, you know, there's always a chance for something. So you got to, uh, you got to, you got to factor that in. All right. We got my man, Marco ghost of M asking, have you reached the stage where you have to deal with regulatory and compliance overhead with things like MVP? Oh, uh, yes. So that's one of the good parts about partnering with someone else though. So I don't deal with a lot of that. And, uh, the Roundhill takes it. So, I mean, Roundhill has four or five other ETFs. So this is like a well-oiled machine for them at this point, they have an internal compliance department and they work with regulatory agencies like the SEC and stuff like that. Uh, my role in it is I'm strictly a marketing partner. So I am a partner in the fund specifically, but I do the marketing side of it. So I don't ever, I don't pick the securities. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, I just promote it. And, you know, I have equity in the fund, so I'm obviously incentivized for it to do well. But I think, uh, yeah, like all of that stuff's heavily scrutinized. I made a video, that launch video that you had up earlier. That thing had to go through like 10 rounds of compliance review, right? So like, you just got to be really careful about things you say and what you talk about. Uh, so I'm certainly not like, I don't ever go around like pumping up the fund or trying to get people to invest in it or stuff like that. It's just educating people, right? Like, this is my opinion. This is what I think. This is why I started it. This is why I'm in the fund. Uh, so it's, it's really just statements like that, like why I think it's a good idea. Uh, and then people should make their own decisions, right? Just get educated like anything else and, and decide for yourself. Yeah, it's great. Great advice. We got a crypto question here. Do you hold crypto? Do you like crypto? What do you think? What are your thoughts on crypto uh, in general? Do you, are you a believer long term? Yes, I uh, I own Bitcoin for sure. Uh, but that's the only crypto I own is Bitcoin. Uh, I think there's a massive opportunity in Bitcoin. I think what we're seeing uh, in the macro environment right now, just with all the money printing, I think there's going to be substantial inflation. I think there already is. And people are, you know, just the, the numbers are telling us something different because they're not as accurate. Um, but I think Bitcoin gives a transparent system that people can trust and believe in. Um, and I think it's going to be a huge part of our future. Yep. I'm with you. We're aligned. All right. We got Joey Ingram. He's fired up. He's just no question. Just boom. He's excited. So I'm going to have to watch that. I love it. Yeah. I think I, I got to go. I think in the next two years, we have to have all five of your brothers. Well, not all your brothers. They don't all do it. You said there's a couple that aren't really involved in this space, right? There's three of you essentially. They'll, uh, they'll come on for a podcast. We'll get them. We'll, we'll have to do a, we'll have to do like a group one of like eight of us all in a room. That would be fun when you're when you're getting ready to buy the 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 Giants. We can say we heard it here first, so that's yeah. uh, that would be that would definitely be fun. Uh, first big poker win. Skip that one. I don't know um, if you played many tournaments or had a major win. Uh, biggest no. dream. I asked you this earlier, so you did. I guess we'll we'll count you covered it. You talked about the Giants and just kind of that whole topic. Uh, so some poker. Some people asking poker questions. Um, we'll just skip those for the most part. Has COVID affected major sports long-term? For example, NHL with the North division of all Canadian teams. Um, any, any thoughts on that with COVID and how that's impacted sports particularly? I mean, we saw the bubble. We see the March Madness and different. Actually, I was watching March Madness yesterday, and I, I don't follow it much, but I saw the 11 versus 11 playing. I saw, like, some weird stuff, like, with uh, – I guess they're in certain areas, and, uh, like, the – the what's it? The, the Ivy Leagues aren't even – I didn't know they, they ended their, their season, but uh, – you know, they, they weren't even participating, but, you know, give me some sort of like big picture effects of COVID you think in sports in the next five, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we saw was just how important fans are, right? Like with stadiums empty, uh, 
organizations had a lot harder time. Ratings were down significantly. Just people were throwing off their internal clock, not going into work, not coming home, knowing Monday night football is on. Oh, it's Monday, right? Like just simple things like that. I think really impacted ratings. You saw almost every major professional sports league uh, from things like obvious the NFL, NBA, but even the Kentucky Derby, the Indianapolis 500, smaller scale events, they were all down. So I think it's uh, re-engaging fans. I think it's getting them back in the bigger picture. Uh, I think it's building on the right. Like sports aren't going anywhere. I think now it's just about building that connection back with the fans incentivizing them to come back to the stadium, back to the arena, getting them in there uh, and then keeping that connection going. I don't think there's going to be like a long-term necessarily impact on uh, fan viewership. I don't think the, I don't think COVID-19, like as we move back and people, whether they get the vaccine or not, like we're, we're going to be moving back to normal at some point within the summer or early in the fall, hopefully. Um, so I think like as people return to stadiums, we'll see, uh, it kind of returned to normal. So it's just about re-engaging those fans is the big deal. For sure. I got a question from my dad here. He said, you started in the corporate finance and then left. How long did it take before you realized the fit wasn't a good one? I think, you, I mean, it, well, actually you did say it wasn't really necessarily not a good one. You just sort of had other plans and ideas that came to light. But in your view, what does it take to fit in the corporate finance world? That's uh, the question at, at, at the end of it. Uh, it was, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how long it necessarily took. I think that for me, it was just, I realized pretty quickly that I just had other interests, right? Like it was a good job and I enjoyed it and all that kind of stuff. But it, uh, very quickly I realized like, I want to get back in sports. And what I've realized is I actually work more hours now than I did before. Um, but it's, it's just so much more fun and empowering to work for yourself and, and determine all that your future success and kind of uh, make progress and all of that. So I really enjoyed that process to it. Uh, but I wouldn't say there was like one big moment that hit and I was like, oh, shit, I need to get out of this. Um, it was just kind of like figuring out what I want to do long term. And if you don't love something, it's tough to do every day. Right. So it's, it was it was becoming, uh, you know, uh, not, not a pain necessarily, but it was just something that I didn't enjoy getting up and going to do. So when I found that out and I realized that it was just like, all right, let's make a change. For sure. He asked another question about uh, seems like everything everywhere is changing so fast, including the sports world. Do you foresee things settling down into a normalcy, into a new normalcy anytime soon? I mean, honestly, it feels overwhelming from my perspective, like with what I do, just the things I'm just around, like it's like FOMO overload, overload. Like, I feel like I'm missing this new coins, new things. You know, I'm trying to keep up yeah. with stuff. I don't even know what's real, what's fake news. You know, you hear this, you see that, like, I, I just like, it's all over the place craziness right now. And do you think, things are going to slow down. Cause like, it's gotta be, I got to think from like an owner's perspective or from an NFL or NBA commissioner, it's gotta be a little, a little bit crazy. Right. Cause you got to learn it. You got to know it. You don't even know if you're getting, you know, the right information from the right place. And it's such a new environment. It just seems kind of like crazy in general right now. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think things will calm down or it could be, do we see a couple year period where everything's just kind of like crazy and, and new, 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 uh, new marks being pushed? Yeah. I mean, I think that, what we saw during the pandemic, some of it is here to stay and some is going to revert back towards some degree of normalcy, right? So I mentioned earlier, like fans are going to return to stadiums. People want to be out. They want to be about. We're even seeing in areas that have eased restrictions, um, people are taking advantage of that, right? Like they're going to dinner, they're going out to bars, they're going to events when available. So I think that's obviously all going to happen. Um, but like, there's other things, right? Like the work from home perspective, we're going to see a lot more normal things around there. When you think about the major companies that have made those decisions, whether it's the Facebook, the Google, the Twitter, um, Salesforce, companies like that, that have already said, Hey, look, you, you guys can work from home forever if you really want to, right? Like we'll have office space and we'll do that, but we don't have a global headquarters anymore and things like that. I think those are the things that we'll see that'll stay around longer term. 
But from a perspective of people wanting that human engagement, those fun atmospheres, those events, those sporting things, um, I think I think we'll revert back to normal. It's just a matter of like, how long does it take for people to get comfortable to do that again? And maybe there are some people that aren't comfortable doing it. Uh, but I think that we'll get to a point where there's enough people that are that th- these things will continue to be packed and sold out and all that kind of stuff. Um, very, very, very interesting. Let's see here. We got, let's take a question from Leo Rourke. We'll take a few more. And again, if you got to run here, we'll cut up. We got a lot, man. Look at this. You got, you might have to hop in here and, and find some of these. If we skip some, I apologize guys. Let's take, Leo O'Rourke. My question is how far reaching are the effects in a sport and business world when an icon such as Tiger Woods has an event such as the pill debilitating an auto accident that has just occurred? I mean, I'm not sure I understand the exact question, but you know, he's, it's kind of crazy, right? Cause Tiger was like tied for the all time thing, right? On the dot. Is that right? He has the exact same as the other guy is uh, the, the, yeah. the, the 71 or um, wins majors or something. And like, it's kind of crazy, right? Like it wasn't clear if he would get there anyway, or maybe he's a favorite now he may not even golf again. I mean, that, that type of stuff is, uh, you know, when you hear, when you see news like this, it just like, seems like it sets up for a storyline comeback. Like he wins the masters and that's one of the craziest things ever, right? The guy, you know, to come back and do that. What are your thoughts when you hear these type of like events, tragic events, Kobe Bryant passes, you know, that dramatic helicopter crash is terrible, sad, like, you know, so ridiculous. But well, I guess what is like, um, you know, what are the effects of this when stuff like this happens in sports when something so terrible or dramatic happens? I I think it's just sad, right? Like first and foremost, like no one wants to see that happen to anyone, especially a figure that all these people look up to and and whatnot and is popular. Um, But it also just like humanizes these athletes a little bit, right? And their families and they go through the same issues and whatnot. Like anyone get in a car accident, it sucks that Tiger Woods did. It sucks if anyone does. Um, But I think the human aspect of it is obviously important. And then, yeah, it's just a ripple effect through the sport. So you saw uh, the golfers, they all wore the Tigers outfit, the red and the black on Sunday during the last tournament or the tournament before. Um, So it's huge. I think that like if Tiger can come back from this, it's going to be massive. I don't think he's a lot has gotten out on the specific injuries. I've heard some rumors of kind of how severe it is and it sounds very serious and it sounds like he's got a long way back. Um, But you know, if uh, I, 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 kind of lightheartedly joke about it. Like if anyone's going to do it, it's Tiger Woods. It's just a guy that you don't really want to bet against. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously tough. It shows you the athletes in a different light. Um, Struggles are part of life, regardless of who you are, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a normal person or whatever it might be. Uh, But it's obviously adds to kind of his story, right? While while he's chasing the majors with uh, Jack, Jack Nicholas at the top, it's just kind of like another thing of adversity that he's had in his life um, that if he's able to overcome, will just add to his resume. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. All right, let's take one more and then let's do this giveaway. What type, what game do you play, Monopoly or War, if you had to choose? I think I actually could tell a lot about someone there and their what games they like. What do you like, Monopoly or War growing up? What was your game? I play Monopoly, but it takes forever. It is a long game. It's kind of like chess or backgammon or something like that. Like it's sort of is kind of cool but it's like man if you're not playing speed chess and then it's just kind of a it just doesn't you know it sucks to sit there and let someone take a minute two minutes a move it's just not not the the right speed um yep. i saw a question about dfs as well this is i thought it was interesting five-year dfs trending i i uh i mean i saw this kind of emerging with they got in they basically copied poker uh, and i remember they partnered with world poker tour and i saw it early and new jason robbins and i actually have a kind of really tough story about like not getting involved with it and, and whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, in terms of investing the uh, 
what are your thoughts on it? Cause like they, they kind of look like they were going to have a big problem. They really just brody through it. Right. They just forced their way through and, and spent a lot of money on marketing. It's actually not even technically, I think making money, but obviously very valuable company uh, at the moment and how much they spend on advertising, acquiring customers. Do you believe DFS is uh have we, has it not even seen the best days? Do you think this is going to get more and more popular or do you think it could like burn out the players and with the rake and you know, all this, like how, how, what's your, what's your prediction on DFS moving forward? No, I think it's going to get bigger. I think right now it's just a market share game, right? So like a lot of these platforms, they all have similar offerings and you're seeing that like DFS is obviously one, but sports gambling in general and like legalized mobile sports gambling as a new market opens, Basically, all the operators, uh, they, they, they kind of rush in. They try to get the most customers that they can. They spend a fortune acquiring them, right? So, like, you'll literally log into a platform like, hey, we'll give you $100, like, free bet, whatever, right, if you deposit 1000 And, <laughs> excuse me, but what it is is, like, there's just not enough uh, differentiating factors to make you choose one over the other necessarily. So, they'll give away a bunch of money. I think the interesting thing to look at is what they do from a partnership standpoint, right? So, what we've seen is a lot of these companies have now started to go to the media route. So, uh, Penn National bought... Uh, a large percentage of virtual sports. That's their kind of channel to go acquire customers cheaper than they normally would. Uh, FanDuel has gotten the route with Pat McAfee and personalities like that. And they've done a really good job of acquiring customers for cheaper amounts. DraftKings just, um, and they just raised another billion dollars or so after having 2 billion on their balance sheet. So it looks like they're gearing up to do something, whether it's just saving money for marketing expenses down the road while the market's kind of cheap, or if they're going to acquire something, who knows? But I think what we're seeing is a lot of these guys are just trying to find unique and different ways to go acquire customers. Cause when you think about it, they're paying, they're paying three, four, $500 right now to acquire a customer. Typically uh, those customers have lifetime value in the thousand to $2,000 range, but this is a lot of money, right? And if you're able to acquire them cheaper, you're going to be the winner in the end of the day. And right now, once you get to a, to a national level where all these states have them legalized, the marketing expenses should come down because once you, once you secure them on a state level and it becomes nationalized, uh, they should, you know, stay as customers. It's just a matter of like who can secure the most customers first. And I think that's what we're seeing with DraftKings, with Penn, with, you know, uh, all these different companies, uh, PointsBet, uh, FanDuel, all these guys, it's just like who can acquire customers for the cheapest right now. Yeah, the uh, yeah, it's a great point. And how, Dave, with Barstool and what they're doing, and the content, just sort of uh, with Dave Portney and those guys, like, what do you, uh, do you feel like they're? I mean, it seems like they got something pretty unique and special, and they really relate to a lot of people, and they, they people love their content. What are your thoughts on what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily, I guess, have a thought on uh, like the organizational aspect of it. I just think like they're really good at the internet, right? When you think about it, of just like who's really good at, at dominating the internet. Portnoy's really good at it, right? He's really good at marketing. He's really good at connecting with fans. His engagement is off the charts. Uh, it's the perfect demographic for uh, for Penn. I wrote about, or I didn't write about them specifically. I was more writing about DraftKings, but I included some Penn charts and Barstool charts. When you look at uh, Barstool's audience versus DraftKings and and, uh, and FanDuel and all these other guys, like they have more fans in that target demographic of betters, people that bet once a week or whatever it might be and are aged like 18 to 35 their audience is larger than all the other companies combined, right? So they have the audience, uh, the engagement's off the charts, and now it's just about partnering with the right person to be able to infiltrate that audience and use that uh, distribution as currency, right? And be able to get all these signups and, and be able to do all that. And I think it's gone really well, obviously, from a stock perspective. I think the stock was, you know, it was $5 last year. So it hit an all-time high. It's in the S&P 500 now. Um, so from a financial perspective, it's been a home run. Awesome. All right. Well, let's do this giveaway. Uh, I'm going to give away a $55 ticket. If somehow, I don't know if, uh, let's see, I got, let's see how many people we got here. Uh, we've got, we got a shot. I'll do a, yeah, we're going to do this one right now. Let me see. 
Okay. So guys, again, give them a follow-up in the newsletter. What's the best way to subscribe? They can just go here to the website. Yeah. Right on my bio, there is a link to the website right there. Um, it looks like you're already subscribed, but usually a subscribe button will pop up and ask you if you want to, uh, want to subscribe. Very cool. Looks like you got a lot of content. Any of these articles are your favorite or if someone's coming on, what's like a really unique one that you just like blew your mind. It looks like all this pretty, pretty cool stuff, but, uh, Anything the one at the top's good. The one pinned to the top is good. It's uh, it's the best. What I think is the best business deal in sports history. These guys made five hundred million dollars from the NBA or whatever it is without uh, or eight hundred million dollars without ever owning an NBA team. Well, I haven't read that. I'm going to read that. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I love it. It's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of. I mean, honestly, the content that you have, I, I just I don't know. Again, your model. I don't know how it's all going to work, but it just seems like a no brainer. Uh, if you keep this out and maybe get a team, you know, a few more people too, and you're able to output even more of these type of stuff. It just, it's definitely the content I love. And I think a lot of people would agree and relate to. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool, man. You got a nice thing here and it looks like you're, you know, you're young. I feel 30, mid thirties, you're mid twenties. You gotta, you gotta, you got a nice thing. You got a nice niche and it's definitely sports legalized at a federal level. It's a, it's the right place, right time. It just seems like there's a lot of opportunities with, with fantasy, DFS, NFT, all these emerging things and technology and, and fun. So uh, very cool. And let's uh, let's do this giveaway. You ready? Yep. All right. So we're going to load this up. This is uh, my man DMP3's tool to do giveaways. So we're going to put this tweet in. We're going to confirm it. We're going to do this. We're going to create a contest and we're going to import the tweets uh download it's a little bit of a process but it's fun you gotta you gotta do it the right way you gotta be random it takes out the bots as well so no one's picking up free giveaways here and you tell me when to choose a winner and between yourself party poker we're gonna have a courtesy look at it took away one of the bots and there we go you tell me when to go and we're gonna pick it all right go ahead there it is choose winner i am sure it's rolling it's rolling we're gonna have a winner there he is look at that user was a bot it even screened the bot out. This guy didn't get the win. This person won. It looks like Bella, Bella Simon. I think this guy might have won two days in a row, um, which is kind of wild. Uh, so, man, some guys can really do it. This guy just binked a Congrats to him again. He's won a few times. Some guys have all the luck. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Joe, this was a pleasure. Really nice to get to know you. Hope to have you on again in the future. Best of luck with everything. And, again, follow him. He's got his news article. Go to his Twitter Give him a follow, Instagram, keep up with his content. He's got really cool stuff, and I uh, learned a lot, man. appreciate the time. Thank you so much. You got it, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, that's Joe Pompliano, one of five brothers. His brother, Apomp, is the man in crypto and in a lot of other content as well, and we will have some more guests next week. Three podcasts, two superstar chess players. You're not going to want to miss it, and uh, I believe Dominique Nietzsche is confirmed. So we'll have three podcasts next week, some Twitch streams, and we got uh, DFS action, statekings.com if you want to sweat. We'll see you very soon. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. I appreciate it. appreciate Joe. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.